Yeah, just just out, hold off the press. Um, uh, and just to say, it's been a kind of wonderful five by fifteen session. I've I've been with you a couple of times before. This is the first time I've I've done it from the the kind of my down at heel lockdown Barrett home. Um, but just to say, um, yeah, that this this is a it's another nonfiction thriller. It follows on from collusion. Um, and Shadow State is really uh, my attempt to to tell the story of our kind of troubled times. And obviously it's about Vladimir Putin, it's about Donald Trump, um, it's about espionage, murder, uh, Novichok. Um, and I guess what I'd say is that the big picture is that Russia has really in recent years been kind of playing a, a, an outsized role, a role which is disproportionate to its real size and influence. Um, and essentially it's a kind of KGB regime uh, led by Vladimir Putin, who sees Moscow um, in a state of permanent semi-war, I would say, or quasi-war with the West, in particular with uh, America, with with the UK. Um, and he, he's been spectacularly effective in recent years. Um, we, we've had uh, major uh, operations in America to help Donald Trump win, also in this country. Uh, around Brexit. And I think what, what's interesting, what's striking, what I try and tell in a kind of exciting narrative way uh, in my book is, is how this is actually the sort of Soviet playbook updated. I mean, what, what the KGB tried to do with very often not much success during the Cold War is to undermine Western democracies, to kind of corrode them from inside. And what Putin has done is take this sort of adversarial concept and and update it for the age of Facebook and Twitter and social media and, and the digital world. And he, he's, he's done it very, very effectively. It's this kind of hybrid of old stuff and new stuff. Now, now the old stuff we know about, it's, it's been overwhelmingly in the headlines. If you go back two years, we had the, the, the attack by two rather hapless GRU Russian military uh, assassins against Sergei Skripal, who was a kind of hated defector uh, in Salisbury, which didn't work and was um, uh, both, both you know, darkly comedic, but also ultimately, I think, very chilling with, with a message to, uh, to Britain, which was kind of up yours, and also a message to people inside Moscow uh, and its spy agencies who were thinking about cooperating with um, MI6 or the CIA uh, and, and that message was that, that we, we don't forgive, we don't forget. And while you're enjoying your new life in Wiltshire or Florida or whatever, we, we will come and we will smash you with a mighty fist when you're least expecting it. So, so we have these theatrical, exotic, terrible, um, sort of Websterian uh, re revenge plots. We also saw that with Alexander Libinenko, about, about whom I wrote a, an earlier book, A Very Expensive Poison, which... Um, some of you may have, may have seen it was adapted in, as a play for the old Vic uh, last autumn before lockdown. Um, but, then, the, but then we have all of the kind of, all, all of, the kind of contemporary stuff. Um, so we, we know that there were Facebook uh, Russian trolls pumping out pro-Donald Trump messages. Uh, the same with Brexit as well, that there's a whole kind of factory of professional sal you know, salaried bots sitting in St. Petersburg, pretending to be UKIP supporters, pretending to be uh, Americans 
uh, while actually kind of following a script. Uh, and th this is really very sinister, um, the, the way in which our democracy has been corroded. And what I try and do is I try and tell the story, um, give a definitive version of what happened with Donald Trump in 2016, you know, answer that was sweeping and systematic Russian interference to help him win. Uh, and I expect there will be again uh, in the autumn. Uh, but kind of conjoined with that was a sort of parallel operation to push Brexit. Uh, and th there's, a, there's a clear sort of geopolitical strategic reason for that, which is that Vladimir Putin hates the European Union. Um, he, he, he likes the idea of anything which disintegrates or weakens Britain, whom, whom he regards as a kind of foe. Um, and in, in communist times, Red Moscow sort of supported leftist political parties in Italy, France, places like that. Um, and, and now that the sort of the Putin vector is the far right, it's the kind of nationalist far right. Um, and we know that there were multiple meetings between Aaron Banks, biggest donor in British political history, who gave eight and a half million pounds to leave EU and the Russian ambassador, Alexander Yakovenko. I kind of sketched that in a chapter called Moscow Gold. Um, and what the Russians did, similar to the, the, the eternal hotel offer being dangled in front of Donald Trump's nose all the time for years, was offer banks gold, uh, a gold deal in Siberia, and then diamonds, and then more gold, uh, and so on. And it was clear that they were trying to kind of incentivize him. And I think what we can say about Russia and Brexit is, is that uh, as a minimum, there was quite a sophisticated and extensive espionage operation to uh, push Brexit, uh, uh, which doesn't mean that it, it was determinant, but it was definitely there. Um, but also, I, I think, I mean, Aaron Banks has been cleared by the National Crime Agency, we have to say that, but I also think there are still questions about the financing uh, of, of the Leave campaign. It's all very opaque. Uh, a lot of it is rooted offshore. Um, and I think there's, a sort of, there's another sort of substantial point, which is that in America, we've had Robert Mueller, the special prosecutor who, who this, only this weekend was attacking uh, Trump's decision to pardon Roger Stone. Uh, even though he lied to Congress. But uh, the Mueller report was a bit of a letdown, but it was at least an attempt to interrogate what happened, in, happened four years ago. Now, in this country, we, we have had zero, well, almost zero. We've had, we've had the Russia report by Parliament's Intelligence and Security Committee, but of course, we haven't seen it. Uh, Boris Johnson suppressed it before the last election. Um, we don't know what it says. I suspect we may get it at the end of this week or next week, and it'll be probably uh, a little bit dis disappointing and, and more discursive than kind of explosive. Um, but the, the, the point is that, that this kind of Kremlin money uh, that we saw in America has also been distorting and affecting our politics, that there are literally millions of pounds which have flown, have flown uh, from, from Moscow-linked donors into the Conservative Party. Um, and there is also a very, something very curious going on between Boris Johnson and the Lebedevs. Now, I'm not suggesting any, any wrongdoing, but Alexander Lebedev, owner of the Evening uh, Standard newspaper, together with his son Yevgeny, has hosted Boris Johnson on several occasions at his Italian palazzo. One, one trip a couple of years ago where, where Johnson flew in, left his security detail behind. He was foreign secretary, a little bit odd. Uh, and then, of course, the day after he wins an election in December, the first thing that, that Johnson does on a very historic day was to go to Alexander Lebedev's 60th birthday party in a rather wonderful cream stucco mansion uh, overlooking Regent's Park. Um, 
So I think this is curious. And one person I, I, I write a lot about, I interview in the book is called Christopher Steele. He's probably the most famous uh, MI6 spy since James Bond. He, he wrote the notorious Trump Russia dossier. Um, and I got hold of his evidence to the ISC, the Intelligence and Security Committee, where he says that essentially he thinks, he, he basically warned the spooks and warned government in late 2016 that Donald Trump may well be compromised by the Russians. And instead of investigating as you, as you, you would wish, the then government of Theresa May and Johnson kind of threw a blanket over all of this for, for, for clearly political reasons because they didn't want to offend Donald Trump and, and jeopardize a post-Brexit trade deal. Um, now, now, one thing I'm always asked, and I'll, I'll say it very briefly because I've only got three minutes left, um, is, you know, is there a tape? This is Steele's most famous allegation that Donald Trump in 2013 was filmed frolicking with two prostitutes in the presidential suite of the Ritz-Carlton uh, Hotel. Um, to which all I, all I can say is, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Russians, the KGB, collected compromise on Donald Trump in the 1980s uh, during his visit, first visit to Soviet Moscow in 1987. Uh, and I know from, from bitter, ghoulish personal experience, when I was in Moscow as a correspondent between 2007 and 2011, the FSB, Putin's spy agency, broke into the, the family apartment where I was living with my, my wife and then two rather small children. Um, they left a series of ridiculous um, clues all over the place. Uh, and to show that they'd been in, it was all demonstrative. Uh, and uh, I talked to the British Embassy in Moscow and took some advice from them. And they said, yeah, you're, you're bugged. And I said, well, what about the bedroom? Uh, and they said, also the bedroom. And then I said, you know, well, could, can you guys do anything about it? And they said, no, I'm afraid we can't. Uh, so, so, you know, so my point is that if the KGB FSB would spy on me, a scruffy, disheveled British investigative journalist, of course they would record Donald Trump. And, and so what they have precisely, we don't know, but Putin knows and Trump knows and Trump knows that Putin knows. And, and Putin is using this in their relationship, in their secret bilateral chats in Helsinki and elsewhere, not to, to, to beat Donald Trump or, or blackmail him, but, but it's there in the background while, while um, Vladimir Putin says, you know, Donald, I am your best friend. I am a rock. I will stand by you. You're surrounded by opprobrious liberals and people who watch Five by Fifteen, but I will be your friend. So, um, so, so we're in a kind of curious and dangerous uh, place. I think with Putin staying in power, and it looks like for another decade or two, we can expect more misadventures. We can expect more assassins. We can expect the Russians certainly to try and meddle in America's election in 2020. And I would just say, by way of closing that, I mean, I've written, I think, I think Shadow State, here, here it is again, is, I, I think it's, it's my seventh uh, nonfiction book. And it, it seems to me, not disrespecting all of the novelists out there, that this is very much a moment for, for, for non-fiction, because our, our, our times are so troubled, they're so disordered, they're so darkly twisting, and, and frankly, surreal and Gogolian. Why make things up? You, you, you can tell true stories in a compelling and captivating way, whether, whether it's via, via the kind of wonderful drama that, that, that Fiona Shaw does or, or the books that everyone else is talking about this evening. Um, but uh, I think nonfiction is where it's at. Um, thank you.